three, two, one, zero. Ignition, liftoff. SpaceX took another step toward its worldwide internet system on Monday. One of its Falcon 9 rockets launched from Florida's Cape Canaveral. You're looking at 60 satellites hurtling into the sky. And over the next few decades, Elon Musk is hoping to send 42,000 of these satellites to space, 15 times the number of operational satellites in orbit today. Starlink is a globe encircling network of internet beaming satellites that is trying to get you online no matter where you are in the world. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alexia Russell, and today on The Detail, we're looking at something new in the night sky. It's an incredible achievement and an astonishing sight. First of all, I thought it was a sort of a, a trick of the light that I was seeing too. Then I saw a third one, and then a fourth one, and they were all exactly equidistant. They were very bright, and they were like a train going across the sky. Very kind of UFO looking, if you don't know what you're looking at. Very strange, unusual. Um, also kind of uh, wondrous, I think, also to a degree to actually see that because um, you don't see them for long often. People all around the world suddenly started reporting this amazing string of pearls travelling across the sky. They were quite bright. Um, wow. The satellites were all pushed out of a rocket at once and they slowly spreading out. Um, it's quite an incredible sight in the sky. But not everyone is completely on board with Elon Musk's Starlinks. This has slightly concerned astronomers because basically um, these are quite bright and when they were first and put out or deployed, as they would say. You know, you could see them. They were bright, as bright as some of the brightest stars. Starlink satellites are bright. They reflect the sunlight and shine it back towards Earth, so they end up looking like bright, moving stars. As cool as it may look, that comes with problems. Starlink satellites are most visible in the night sky right before dawn and right after dusk, which is the exact time that astronomers are hunting for near-Earth objects or asteroids, uh, objects that could hit Earth and possibly harm us. The first we really knew about this was when the things were in orbit. So there's been no global discussion about this, no impact study. Any astronomer is going to tell you SpaceX has done incredible things in the industry, but that doesn't mean that they can do whatever they want. That's professional astronomer Josh Kirkley, and we'll catch up with him soon. But amateur stargazer Jeremy Rees told me he found himself conflicted and confronted when he saw the string of satellites pass across the dark skies of the Marlborough Sounds. Sort of a amazement at seeing something like that going across the sky and then something also of sort of um, oh I don't know disappointment that here I was in the middle of my Milky Way moment staring at the sort of the beauty of nature and suddenly the sky train or you know goes right in front of my nose. Yeah I, I actually thought the same thing when I first saw it um, kind of thinking what, what on earth is that I've never seen anything like it um, it is very strange to see. I went to see Josh Kirkley from Stardome on a clear Auckland night. Oh, is that a satellite there? See that thing there? Oh, yeah. Is it moving? can barely tell. What well, does look like it? Or am I just moving? No, it is moving, yeah. Oh. See, there you go. There's a satellite yeah. slowly moving, so it's going towards... Uh, that's Canis Minor, so that's a small dog. There's something that's twinkling up there is that yeah, just I trying to that. become see, behind a cloud see, what you've actually seen just when you see those flashes a lot of people um, they tell us they're supernova those are actually satellites which um they're just catching the light of the sun so you see a temporarily oh. glint um For like faulty christmas light yeah kind of so they've just from our perspective they've just caught a little glint of the sun so that's when you see that tiny little flash so we've been sitting, um, standing out here five minutes we've seen two satellites well yeah and that's the thing but you i will say you got to remember there's i think at any given time about 
one to two thousand things above us right now. We can see one or two. So does he share the concerns raised by other astronomers that Elon Musk's Starlink is ruining stargazing? I guess the way that I try to always approach things is to really look at it um, quite pragmatically and think, well, what are the pros and cons of anything new? You know, we're at the starting, we're all very pro-space. We're not necessarily pro-individual or a company. Um, But it's interesting because this has never been done before. It's kind of uncharted territory. If you look at kind of the innovation that we had during the Apollo era, everything was new. It was being done for the first time. Um, And this is really one of those things. We don't really know all the answers to what the, all the pros and all the cons are going to be, um, but there's, there's, they're already both. there's a lot on both sides at the moment already. Mm. I guess with Apollo and everything, we couldn't see the actual space capsule being launched mm. into space. Yep. With this, the whole world, I presume, at some yep. time can see those, that chain of satellites across the sky. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the, the way satellites work, not just Starlink, but virtually any satellite is, um, if you were to see a satellite, you know, if we go outside tonight, we might spot a couple. Um, you can really only ever see satellites... When they're still above us enough to be illuminated by the sun, but we're in nighttime, for example. So you really only see satellites, and this is any satellite, uh, after sunset or before sunrise. That's because they're at a high enough altitude to still be lit. Whereas, you know, if you walk outside, you know, one in the morning, um, you're not going to see a thousand lights in the sky. There will be stars, but you're not going to see satellites because there's no light, basically, to illuminate them. Um, it's also the same reason often people see satellites moving and then suddenly they just disappear or they yeah oh, okay. so that's actually the satellites orbiting into the shadow of the earth so i think that's a really important thing to remember is satellites don't make light they reflect light just like you know the earth or anything else in the space basically so when satellites are orbiting behind us in the shadow of the earth when the night is the darkest they're virtually invisible you know there are already thousands and tens of thousands of more pieces of stuff orbiting us but we can't see that in the middle of the night because there's just no light there to illuminate it and it's the same for starlink so when it comes to dark sky experiences before bedtime you might see them oh you you (laughs) definitely will yeah Yeah. but the rest of the time it'll be the the night sky that you'll be seeing yeah and i I think another thing to remember too is when starlinks launch they're often obviously they're all bunched up which is why you see this kind of train of lights very strange looking looks like we have a visual there deploy confirmed and call out of confirmation of Starlink deployment. So those 60 Starlink satellites gently floating away from the second stage. And uh, because of the spin on the second stage, they'll start to space themselves out. Soon they'll deploy a solar array that they have on board. And then over the next few days and weeks, they'll distance themselves out further using an onboard ion thruster to make their way to an operational orbit about 550 kilometers above the Earth's surface. So they're closer together and they're also lower altitude, but over time um, they're spread apart, so they kind of actually cover the whole circumference of the Earth and then they push to a higher altitude. So, you know, all the sightings, when we see those really bright chains of lights, they've all happened just in the days after the launch when they're still quite low and close together. Um, but once they're spread out, they're, those effects are kind of mostly mitigated. Um, and that's why, you know, there are already a thousand of them up there but we don't see thousands of lights, you know, right. already. So it's, it's yeah, it's, I think it's easy to see those kind of really cr- crazy looking photos of all the lights flying and go, mm-hmm. oh, imagine that, you know, times a thousand. Um, but you've got to remember how they kind of operate and what satellites actually do. So this seems like a, probably a dumb question to you, but how do they get the string of them up there? Yeah, so they, they're basically just identical little, I think they're about the size of 
like a briefcase and they stack them so there's about 60 per launch so when they send them up they're all together stacked nicely kind of like loaves uh slices of bread essentially uh once it gets up there and they're deployed they slowly just push them out away from each other and then they spread them out within the orbit so that's when all the effects are mostly dissipated so they're manipulated from the ground to do that or they naturally yeah. do it no so they're, they're controlled from the ground um they've got little thrusters so they can control altitude and they've got star trackers so they know where they are um, and it's also to ensure that when, if, if one was faulty, for example, um, they can actually deorbit them. So they, th- you know, fire the thrusters that pushes it down, and then eventually they would burn up in the atmosphere. So, so in the next little while, how many of these are we going to see up there, or not see? But... Yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's it's impressive how many they're launching. I, I think there's two scheduled for this week or within the next couple of weeks. Um, they've already got a thousand. I, I believe they have a kind of a license for about twelve thousand. Um, but I think, you know, they've, they've said themselves that they would like up to, you know, 32,000, I believe, up there, which to me seems excessive. Um, I mean, they already have global coverage. Um, but, yeah, I, again, I guess it's got maybe going to have to be one of those things that we'll see. The more they go up there, we're going to either see more pros, more cons, or both, and then, I guess, adjust where they're going to go with their direction. Uh, another stupid question. How are they going to stop them crashing into each other? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's also the other issue is, you know, you've got thousands of things orbiting. Now, luckily, one thing to remember about space is even though there are thousands of objects orbiting us, uh, space is very big. So these objects are fairly small. They are quite far away from each other, you know, dozens, sometimes hundreds of k's away from the nearest satellite. Um, so chances of, you know, collisions are generally quite slim, um, but they're there. And, of course, the more things that we're putting up, the higher those chances get. Um, with Starlink specifically, I, I, I don't think that they would be, you know, crashing into each other because they're kind of, they're all orbiting in unison as a system. But I think, you know, other, other satellites that are not in that system would be more at risk. Um, and, you know, we, we track all the things that we send up. So if there's ever a, uh, a likely collision, the ground control would be told. And, you know, sometimes they can move those satellites um, it happens to the space station. Often the astronauts actually have to uh, raise or lower their altitude if there's you know, potential space debris. Good day from the International Space Station Flight Control Room here at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. This morning is the scene of cautionary vigilance as Flight Director Chris Edelin and his Orbit 1 team of flight controllers monitor the approach of a small chunk of space debris in the vicinity of the station that prompted the precautionary sheltering of the six crew members in their respective Soyuz spacecraft. But it has happened before. There's There's been satellites that have collided, you know, and then caused thousands of pieces of debris to result from that and that, that's a really big issue um but yeah it's it's any satellite basically it's, it's it's a big problem what we're talking about here is kessler syndrome so kessler syndrome well, the way i explain this to people is i ask have you seen the movie gravity uh, sandra bullock's film oh, yes. very yes. good film love it um that is a really good representation of kessler syndrome so that's when you've got an object a satellite hits something else shatters into thousands of pieces those thousands of pieces now become thousands of projectiles that are going at thousands of k's per hour that hits another satellite that satellite explodes and then it hits another one it it kind of it's this idea that there could be this chain reaction of all the satellites suddenly being destroyed from each other just from those really high velocity impacts so yeah there's that scene in gravity where sandra's uh, i think she's fixing the hubble and all these um satellites start flying towards them and just absolutely obliterate um i think they're on a shuttle Confirming visual contact with debris. Debris is from a BSE sat. Repeat. I have Dr. Stone requesting faster transport. We have to go. We have to go, go, go. Look, we need to get the hell out of here. Some help there, man. No, don't wait for us. Stop. Man, 
That I, that's a very scary, terrifying situation to think of. Not just for the astronauts, but you can imagine if, if that happened in real life. We, we've just lost all radio, all internet, all phone. We've just lost uh, essentially our entire communication system on Earth. So, so is you, it a made-up thing? or do you, it, It's a real thing. It's um, Again, you would need a lot more things up there. You would need a lot more objects flying around. But, you know, again, the more things you put up there, like we said, 32,000 objects the prospect of that becoming real is much more higher. So these movies we see, like Gravity, mm. they're not... I mean, there's a grain of truth in them. They're not oh, totally. you know, taken to the nth degree, obviously. Yeah, I mean, obviously sci-fi, we often look at sci-fi and think it's it's just there for fantasy, but there's one thing I always say is everything is sci-fi until it's not, you know? Things that we do now 50 years ago, people go, no, that's sci-fi, we can't do that. Um, but it, obviously space movies draw heavily on science, of course, and a lot of it is just completely made up for the story and the visuals or whatever. Um, but yeah, things like the Kessler Syndrome is a really real thing. Those crashes would create clouds of debris that can orbit the Earth for years, decades, or even centuries. And that debris can then disable or cause other satellites to crash into each other, creating even more debris. And this problem spirals out of control in an effect called the Kessler Syndrome. And if we reach that, then essentially space is too unsafe to access. The space station, I mean, that must be worrying for them that there's so many more objects yeah, out there. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's not just the amount of objects, but it's also the speed that these things are moving, you know. The, the space station moves at, uh, you know, roughly eight kilometers a second. So you imagine something else moving roughly that speed coming at it and smashing into it. It's even something as small as a grain of sand or a tiny flick of paint. Um, they've done studies in labs can cause huge, you know, bullet-like holes just because of those velocities, you know. Wow. And there's no air in space, so there's nothing to slow these things down. So it's it's a big issue. So has NASA or whoever's up there at the moment expressed any um, annoyance I think it's just more concern, you know, that's why they have systems to track these objects because, you know, it's one thing for a satellite to smash into another satellite, um, but of course we've got people up there, we want to look after mm. them, that's, that's really dangerous and, you know, there's been a couple of situations where the astronauts would, uh, they'd have to go and basically take shelter in one of the capsules just in case something hit the space station, you know, they could quickly evacuate and leave, so it, it's a big, you know, definitely a risk, probably one of the riskier things of being up in the space. Well, you think? I mean, who makes the rules? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I, and that's and that's. You the, think they would have said, issue. "Hey, mate, yeah, <laughs> we're up there." It's it's yeah, it's it's hard because you know when we look at space, a lot of laws on Earth they don't apply, and you know we we have this thing called the Outer Space Treaty that was back in the uh, this was in the space age that this was written, which was basically kind of this arbitrary piece of paper which many nations signed, and it said you know no one really owns anything in space, you know it's all for everyone's benefit, um, but it's just a different time and. You know, as as things advance, when people start to go back to the moon and we have bases and, you know, eventually off to Mars, we're going to lead laws, essentially. We need yeah. real space laws. You know, those ones that said no one can claim the moon. It's just not going to hold for very long, you know. Mm. Um, and it's the same with space exploration, especially with SpaceX. You know, it's a private company. Um, and a lot of the rules that they have to follow were written pre them, you know, eras that don't really apply to them. So it's just a really new frontier. There obviously needs to be... Yeah. A lot more kind of people need to look into this a bit more on both the government and the private side. Is there any move like UN based move to try and rewrite the Outer Space Treaty? Yeah, I mean, not at the moment. I think it's more on the United States side. I mean, every time they have a, an endeavor in space, they often have uh, kind of new treaties that they sign um, or pieces of partnership which they sign with other countries, kind of stating 
um, you know, the objectives and the goals of the missions. But, you know, again, not all countries play to those rules. You know, the China and uh, Russia, there's there's been a lot of uh, <laughs> rule breaking, I guess, in space before. But it's again, it's who. Who, who are you punishing and who's being punished? Who, who's, you know, whose right is it to say you can't do that in space when we've just told everyone that space is for everyone, you know? Mm. It's kind of, it's the double edge of, you know, I think any science, you know, it's when we first split the atom, you know, we thought, wow, we're going to have clean power forever. We never need fossil fuels. But instead we built bombs, you know? Mm. So it's that kind of double edge sort of... human. Yeah, yeah, we are very human. So it's kind of how we use the tool of science. Obviously we want to be using it for good, but that's not everyone's intention. Okay, when two objects smash in space, do they need third-party insurance? Do they? (laughs) Who pays? (laughs) Surprisingly, satellites are insured. Um, More so for rocket failures if they, you know, because you pay a a rocket uh, provider to send something up. If it explodes, you get some insurance money. Um, But, yeah, it's often the systems. I mean, you have a lot of uh, NASA, for example, and the ESA, uh, European Space Agency, they do a lot of tracking. So, you know, if a Chinese satellite is on a collision course with a European satellite, they'll contact each other. And often you, you find that sometimes it's a bit of a it's a bit of a game of chicken where one country will say, well, you move your satellite. And the other might say, well, no, we're not moving. You move your satellite um, to the point where they actually get really close to collision. So, it, again, it kind of there's a lot of politics around the space above us, which... Yeah, because yeah, it's no one's fault, right? Like, yeah. I mean, if two objects in space are colliding, there's no rule about keeping to the left. Oh no, that's this is not. There's no maritime <laughs> law out there, you know. You there's no there's no roads in space or in the orbit above the Earth. So you know, satellites are just there orbiting, doing whatever purpose they're doing. Um, it's it's really up to us to to set those rules basically and make sure we're avoiding those situations. But those situations are getting harder to avoid. Elon Musk wants to end up with 42,000 of his satellites orbiting the Earth, and 12,000 of those are going up in the next five years. His aim, to finance the colonisation of Mars. Elon Musk has said he's just trying to grab a small percentage of a trillion dollar a year telecommunications industry around the world. If SpaceX can pull this off, the company could net about 30 to $50 billion a year. With the belief that NASA wasn't doing more to get people to Mars, and the fact that Earth might eventually become an uninhabitable wasteland, Elon Musk founded SpaceX, the rocket company making raves today. And this rocket's great for, for a lot of reasons. Um, it's something that I think inspires the public. And you could actually send people back to the moon with the Falcon Heavy, the orbital refueling, send people to Mars. Amazing pictures from space. Elon Musk pulls off an engineering feat. He sent his own kind of rocket man on board a Tesla Roadster into orbit. Is that just a self-aggrandizing, egotistical piece of artwork? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, as much as I'm passionate about space, I know that not everyone is. So I think, you know, there needs to be something that is actually just really you know so ridiculous and inspiring that we see up in space <laughs> if that's a, a you know a suited man in a red tesla flying yeah. around the sun it's the image um, that you remember I yeah guess. and that's the thing and that's because everyone knows that they've they saw this ridiculous image of a car going what on earth is that doing in space but even if you don't really know what's happening it just it actually gets people looking up again and interested in space because i think a lot of the day-to-day of astronomy is just it's not really mainstream stuff it's not something that most people spend time looking and reading at you know so when we uh, do have these happening on the Mahia Peninsula. Oh, well, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah like, i mean rocket lab did the similar thing when they launched yeah, but they put a uh, glitter ball up there oh. yeah i know i saw some i saw some people saying oh they've got some there's just some glitter junk up there um 
but yeah, again, I think there needs to be things which are kind of humanized missions, you know, that actually really do get people right. interested, even if they don't necessarily like it. You know, it's it's just getting people a bit more aware of what's happening and looking up more essentially. <laughs> it was very ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I saw the Tesla, and I because I was watching it live, and I just thought, no way, that's real. That looks like CGI seeing a, a red Tesla with the Earth. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. And, you know, there are things brighter, and the, the International Space Station, for example, is very bright. It often outshines the planets. Um, I've, I've never in my life heard a complaint about the space station. Yeah. Um, I, it's just so wondrous to look up and think, oh, there's, there's eight people up there, 400 k's above the Earth. You know, that, yeah. that's really impressive to me. But um, could the number of satellites out there mm. obscure an early warning of something that is about to hit the Earth? Yeah, I mean... It's, it's, I think it's totally possible because, you know, a lot of our Earth-based telescopes, for example, um, that scan the skies, they're scanning the skies at all times with radio, for example. So they're going to see things or be scanning the sky at almost all times of the day. They don't need night with radio astronomy. I mean, there is a, there is a chance, but I feel like, you know, we already have uh, constellations of satellites like GPS, for example. They are already up there. They orbit in unison, but we know they're there. It hasn't seemed to really cause any issues that I'm aware of. Um, Starling so far, it, I haven't seen any real issues. I've just seen, you know, the photos, people saying, oh, it's going to ruin the night sky. But again, it comes back to that thing of, might not be an issue now, but if we're going to be putting 30,000 other Starlinks, it absolutely probably will be an issue. And if you want to track the next Starlink launch, they are live streamed. And Josh also recommends the website satflare.com, which tracks satellites. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please give us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Poik. And thanks to Josh Kirkley. Do you have a permanent crick in your neck? Um, honestly, I do sometimes, and I'm like, oh, I need to stop looking up. It's been almost time looking up, honestly.